very special second episode of Designed for Good. We're in conversation with Kara Tejpal, wildlife conservationist and writer at the Sanctuary Nature Foundation. She also heads the Mud on Boots project, which supports grassroots conservationists across India. Kara tells us that pretty much any skill you may have can help in committing to and supporting the wild, and how observation gives rise to kinship. That's a very technical question. Well, in my mind, my mindscape, my mind life, probably all of it. But actually, being outdoors, I'd say maybe thirty percent at max. I know it sounds less, but those have been the most like transformative moments for me. Um, also, you know, the kind of conservation I do. I'm not a field biologist. I'm not a field worker. So my contribution to conservation really comes from the work I do behind. uh my laptop and from my desk whereas the inspiration for the work and the kind of grounding of that work comes from field experiences would you um change that ratio maybe going forward in the future like what what's an ideal situation that is an that is my eternal uh, kind of uh endeavor to increase that ratio because of course i am happiest when i'm outdoors and the you know lap of nature and not locked up in a city um yeah i'd like a Uh, I'd like seventy thirty the other way around. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> uh, so, Kara, how did you get here? Like, how did you begin? And did you know from the very start that you wanted a life in the wild, or you wanted like to write about it, or you know, spend a lot? Oh yeah, time? you know, I get asked this question a lot because people are now getting interested in conservation and environment and like this kind of space that is dominating our global discourse, uh, given the climate crisis and the mass extinctions. um but for me it's i've i've always loved animals i've never thought that i would do anything apart from working towards uh conservation of course i didn't call it conservation as a kid i didn't know that word but as i grew older my path kind of took me from a more animal welfare uh approach to towards a wider landscape approach until finally i got to a point where i could see how completely interconnected everything is um so yeah i always knew i was going to work with nature with animals for wildlife somehow since the time i was 3 or 4 years old and i think my parents will attest to the fact that uh, we had a crazy household full of animals you know every stray cat and mangle dog found on the streets was was brought home and nursed um and i was very lucky in the regard that i grew up in a household which allowed me to be there were no expectations about of the kind of life i should lead or the kind of career i should pursue um and in fact the other way around there was a lot of encouragement for uh, my interests um so it was it was a very natural progression from saving stray cats and stray dogs to working with an animal shelter to volunteering and exploring wild landscapes in india to finding mentors who are you know 
incredible at what they do and uh, ultimately finding myself where i am today oh that's that's so nice like you said something so important about starting out young like you had an mm-hmm. environment at home which was conducive yeah. to this and like you were encouraged to explore yeah. this, you know like this sort of interest that you had and a passion you had um would you think that like we don't explore this in the education system at all like in oh not at all mm-hmm. it's it's abysmal like you know i remember one time i gave a talk at a school and i played this little game right at the beginning before i even started where i had like 20 logos of brands and then 20 common bird species found in delhi this was in delhi and every kid could tell me tell me the brand behind each of the logos whether it was nike or mcdonalds or whatever you want and when we got to the birds maybe you know three or four could tell me a few of them and i think that's so that's so telling of um our interaction with our environment and our urban spaces have and our urban minds have gotten increasingly kind of walled in by the concrete um and even in cities and all cities have some amount of wild spaces and wild residents who cohabit uh, our landscapes with us um we don't see them you know we don't pay attention to them we don't know we don't know it's there it's such a it's such a immense loss to our minds and our hearts to to be ignoring this incredible rich uh diversity um to me it really boggles my mind when i meet people who tell me that they don't really like or you know they're not interested in animals because i imagine to myself how insular has your has your experience been has your upbringing been to allow you to imagine that this planet that you inhabit with millions of other species is not worthy of your time or interest or empathy you know what you're saying resonates so much because like mm-hmm. i take my dog for a walk every morning and she yeah she's pretty young so she's kind of crazy and she runs everywhere uh-huh. but um so there are like where there's a park and there are these there's a family of these grey hornbills there uh huh uh huh like i'm literally you know every day i go and i'm looking at them and they <laughs> sound and nobody cares like no yeah. literally stop people in the tracks and say do you see do you like uh-huh. do you see this because i remember when we were young like my mother's very interested in birds and she would like, yeah. we went to the hills she would always be like, we would literally like take a selimali book and like look yeah, so, yeah. you know like Um, yeah. almost like a not hunt but almost like you know yeah. you have all of these birds written out and then mm-hmm. um you would try and spot one in the wild you know but then there woodpeckers but like these birds you don't see normally in an urban space you know or like even a coppersmith but when i was a kid i could i would see those and like people really don't care though you know like that yeah. this bird looks different from the other and like it's not a pigeon. i mean it's our culture you know at the end of the end of the day this like crazy capitalist consumer culture this very aspirational uh culture this uh, culture of ambition uh and uh, that ambition translating to you know monetary gain or an idea of status it's really robbed us of our gift of observation and without observation of the natural world uh we don't get i mean observation is what gives rise to kinship right only in observing a species different from me am i able to kind of uh, discern how we are also so similar and and that that kinship is actually a very underlying uh a uh, kind of emotion for me that uh, you know we are every species that is in existence today is walking an evolutionary path alongside humans um and not separate from humans so yeah i i hear what you're saying i totally agree that there needs to be uh, we just need to reawaken to the kind of glorious world we inhabit
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what's the kind of like groundwork somebody has to do to, let's say, um, commit to the wild, or let's say, like, have a career in this um field? So, Is there, like, a course in our like, you know, other courses? Oh yeah, of course, so many. Um, well, firstly, if you want a career in the wilds, yes, there are loads of like uh wildlife conservation, wildlife biology, uh, environmental sciences courses, both at the bachelor's level and at a master's level, available in India. Uh, you know, NCBS, for example, runs a fantastic wildlife conservation course uh, in Bangalore. Uh, WII, the Wildlife Institute of India, runs a fantastic master's program. So many of our, I mean, there are so many more. I know Bhavan's College in Mumbai now runs a wildlife conservation course. So there are definitely options. But I think for me, the the more important thing to kind of like reiterate and underline and underscore is that you don't need to study conservation. In fact, you don't even need to call yourself a conservationist in order to, to practice conservation or to have a, a philosophy of conservation or to support conservation efforts, you know? And um, the, the work I do allows me to meet so many people in so many different fields. And pretty much any skill you have can be used towards this end. And I think that's, that's really crucial. And that's really a key point for me that you don't have to call yourself a conservationist or pursue a career, so to say, in conservation in order to, to support it and in order to just uh, recognize and acknowledge and uh, you know strive to protect some of this uh, some of the wild spaces that we have. Great. I also wanted to ask if there is um, any sort of scope for collaboration. Like you said that you know you don't have to really call yourself conservationist or you don't have to put it in yeah. the this because yeah. it's really like a way of life though, right? You respect yeah other yeah. species and you realize that you're not superior to um animals yes animals. yes but um so so let's say somebody sitting in an urban space in a metropolis mm-hmm. mm-hmm. city in our country and like they feel for the things they're reading the things they're watching yeah but like you kind of feel that you can't immediately contribute so, yeah. so is there something that you would maybe suggest or recommend that a person sitting in a in an urban like polluted Arundhati there is so much scope for collaboration it's pretty amazing once you start like getting into it uh, of, of what you can do um, and I'll give you an example uh, very recently um, I collaborated with uh, uh, two youth groups in the Karbi Anglong landscape in Assam uh, that landscape is biodiverse it has a population of Chinese pangolins one of the most trafficked animals in the world and instances of poaching have been on the rise and uh, these, these young volunteers from, uh, from these two groups wanted to launch a campaign to save the pangolin for their community. They call it Save Karpu. Karpu is the Karbi word for pangolin. Save Karbi Pride. So uh, the effort is of course to make the community uh, proud of the fact that they have this very rare critically endangered species in their backyard and, and to link it to their Karbi identity. Uh, they've been doing incredible work on the ground. I haven't even visited that landscape, but some of the help that I could provide was just in coordinating the campaign and getting some resource people on board. And uh, um, I reached out to a, a designer and a graphic designer and illustrator, Tosha, Tosha Jagad, and asked if she'd be interested in helping out and mentioned to her that I don't have a budget. I'm also doing this on a pro bono basis. And she came right on board. And we got onto a con call with uh, one of the uh, team members, Surly in uh, Assam, 
and myself and I was in Mysore at the time and Tosha I think she was in Goa um, and 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 we got these stunning posters designed in Karbi language that Tosha did and those posters were not just for social media or kind of like that crazy content consumption that goes on online but for actual print and putting up on in like bus stops and like local bazaars and remote villages and and this entire team of people on the ground over there are now using Tosha's work and skills to take forward their campaign and to and 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 to spread the word on uh, the Karpu, the pangolin. Um, and just like Tosha, I worked with a number of different uh, designers and artists, whether it's Laboni uh, or Malika Chandra or um, uh, Laila Vazir Ali. So many people who stepped forward. So you know, art has been a has been really fantastic as a tool for conservation. But other than art, we've also had lawyers who've stepped in, journalists who stepped in, um, uh, you know, filmmakers who stepped in, uh, college volunteers who come forward and uh, can help with even things like data entry or like uh, you know Im uh, image compiling or like the scope is endless. The scope is truly endless. Um, I think one key thing though to keep in mind is that because this kind of um, I'll call it a culture of volunteering. Is not so is not so popular in India. Um, the idea of what volunteering can entail is sometimes distorted, and uh, very often people, when they think about volunteering for conservation, they think they're going to be out in the field in their boots, like rescuing tiger cubs. And honestly, that's not the reality. That's that's really only a very 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 tiny percentage of people actually do that kind of work. Conservation involves so so much more than that. Wow, that's just so reassuring because like you would only imagine that it's this very sort of, um, you know, like distant idea to be able to um, <laughs> contribute and, yeah. uh, you know, help out in this space. At so all. Yeah. I ran something called the Mud on Boots Project for Sanctuary Nature Foundation. Sanctuary itself is uh, India's first oldest wildlife magazine. And a couple of years ago became a foundation and now runs a number of conservation initiatives, projects, verticals. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is the fact that I personally feel very disillusioned by the kind of international conference space uh, and the kind of jargon heavy, uh, you know, cross continental conversations that happen that sound great, uh, but you very rarely see, see impact at the scale of which these kind of conversations happen. Uh, you know, for the past decade, I have attended innumerable like uh, meetings, whether virtual or in person, and heard incredible scientists speak, speak and incredible like policymakers talk. But I've always, on the other end of the spectrum, on the ground, I've always found them lacking. You know, we're using all these big words and big terms, but we're not seeing the kind of shift we'd we'd want and that is required in the field. And on and. At another level, I was also experiencing and noticing and seeing how much difference one person in the field can make, how much fire, how much determination, how much willpower and conviction uh, is available to us in the form of people working within their communities towards a conservation ideal, very often with very limited resources, uh, with none of the access that some of that big and more corporatized kind of NGOs and government have. And uh, so the Manan Boots project was really born out of respect for grassroots conservation workers. 
and with the desire to uh, support their work. You know, one thing I really like to say to try to explain to people what we do is that the grassroots conservationists is, is you, you can view them as the hero and we're just the sidekick, you know, we come on board to, uh, to provide support, to be able to uh, maybe ease their work a bit, to, uh, to, to give them some uh, resources and access and uh, truly just enhance what they're already doing. These people would be doing their work whether or not the Maran Boots project exists, but now we do exist in order to be able to help what they do. Um, so over the past four or five years, we've had grassroots conservationists from across uh, the country come on board. The Maran Boots project runs as a booster program over a two year period after a person has been selected, they receive uh, a monetary grant, um, which goes out in installments. And then uh, what we call uh, customized support. So depending on their landscape, depending on the species, species focus, depending on the obstacles, we customize the support that they require. Uh, what does that mean? It could mean uh, someone wants a botanist to come down and help identify certain plants in a sacred grove. So we will contact the botanist, we will figure out a way to get them there and we will help them arrange that uh, visit. Or someone might um, require uh, a permission from the government to enter a certain protected area to do a survey. So we will help kind of be the in-between and facilitate that. It could be, it could truly be anything. We always tell our project leaders that you tell us what you need and we try to do it. Um, and I'm so glad you asked about mentorship because it is so crucial. As a two-year program, I know that I am, we, we are in these people's lives for a very short amount of time. And in that time, I want them to be able to juice sanctuary for what it's worth, you know, to get the most out of this experience. And so we, we make an effort that each of the project leader leaders we get on board either already has a mentor or a person um, who, who they know and who, are, who they are comfortable with in that space. Or we try to connect them to someone within our network who can help them out and who can help kind of guide their efforts. Um, at the end of the day, I and uh, our core team at Sanctuary is just two of us, uh, my project coordinator, Maitri, and myself. And neither of us are really uh, field biologists or scientists as such. So uh, our effort is to make sure that everything is science-based, but also that we don't get lost in numbers and quantities and kind of like data. So that's the Maron Boots project. It's pretty incredible. I'm so inspired by every one of the people we work with. Uh, uh, we had a really tough time getting uh, women nominated to the program. The project runs on nominations. So wildlife conservationists within our really vast sanctuary network uh, can nominate uh, a project leader to us. And after a kind of process of going through each nomination, figuring out priorities, project leaders are selected. Um, Wow, that sounds. We weren't getting many women nominated. Almost, it just sounds like yeah, um, just such a just such a great like combination of things coming together. But I so so once so you you interact with like a lot of people in our country who have dedicated mm -hmm. their lives to you know doing um things for the yeah. environment and for the wild and just being around for um you know just yeah. something that's outside of this like capitalist and very um, yeah sort of selfish environment that we've built for ourselves but uh does that give you hope though for the future oh 100 percent. this is uh the maron boost project is like what really drives me because i see people just just putting in the work and not just that when i get to visit their landscapes and i get to see what they're fighting to protect or what they're working to preserve uh 
it's always moving it's always eye opening it's always i i get the chills you know and um, whether it's seeing great indian bustards in rajasthan or gangetic dolphins in gharial in the chambal river or you know seeing dholes at night in the kaveri wildlife sanctuary each of these experiences is kind of just reiterates to me that i'm doing the right thing for myself and um it's okay it's it's a it's a tough feel it's a it's a very depressing feel to be honest uh especially when you kind of zoom out and look at look at it from like uh the larger perspective but at the micro levels you're seeing heroes and you're seeing success stories um and you're seeing all these incredible human virtues of resilience and patience and compassion and empathy and love uh and um, you know laughter and and that's that's what that's what keeps all of us going can we see like um the profiles of all of these efforts on maybe sanctuaryasia.com mm-hmm. yeah so we've got uh, we've got short profiles on each one of our project leaders up on our website which is www.sanctuarynaturefoundation.org um we also publish updates from our current project leaders in every issue of sanctuary magazine um and our social media on sanctuary's handles on my personal handle also quite often has updates from the field incredible do you think it's unfair if i ask you what's been your most moving experience out there in <laughs> uh, it's not unfair it's just probably going to be unanswered because <laughs> <laughs> there are so many you know i i i understand that most people feel that life changing moments happen maybe once or twice in life but i feel like i have a life changing moment three or four times a year <laughs> and you're so it's, lucky yeah. <laughs> and usually when it's when i'm out in the wild and like it's just unexpected unexpected and staggeringly beautiful and there's a certain uh, amount of camaraderie or if not camaraderie then peace that i feel um and that's amazing and and there are so many moments i couldn't possibly like choose one particular one uh, to share with you um going to ask you about eco anxiety and i'm not mm-hmm. sure this is something do you want you you want to answer but but we we constantly read about this maybe because of uh, yeah because our generation probably and that's yeah. like a small percentage um yeah. of our generation that feels it because you you can't really impact change mm-hmm. at a very large mm-hmm. scale um but do you feel it and is there something you do uh, to combat it oh definitely uh i've been i call it more ecological grief than eco anxiety and it's something that's very prevalent within my field and within the young people and people of my generation who are working in in environment or conservation um and it's really horrible because there's so much burnout there's so much uh depression there's so much anxiety and you can understand it right we're suddenly living in an age of technology and destruction let's be honest and climate crisis and mass extinction and for people working in this field it is the clear priority that you know unless we fix ourselves in order to have a have a healthier planet it doesn't nothing else is going to matter and to have that kind of realization and for a lot of people knowledge and then to feel like the rest of the world is completely oblique to it is so difficult it's like it's like watching something you love burn right and not being able to do anything um so it is very prevalent i of course feel a lot of ecological grief and uh, anxiety sometimes it's overwhelming but honestly i'm not ashamed of crying and i'm not ashamed of talking about it and that really helps i'm also um 
the the work i do has allowed me to build a really really vast network of uh friends and colleagues all of whom i find so amazing and just such beautiful people and to have access to that to have community i think is crucial in these times because really the worst thing is to feel alone in this but none of us are alone you know there are thousands millions of us who are experiencing the same thing um but other than that in general i really do think like limiting time on our devices whether it's our phones or our laptops or you know whatever our tvs and uh not not imagining that you are going to change the world or that the weight of the world is on your particular shoulders is essential you have to find time for all the other things you love because you get this one life right you can't spend all of it just kind of banging your head against the wall and sobbing about the state of the world so yeah uh i think find joy in the things you do uh nurture and nourish your other passions your hobbies your relationships uh and know that you're not alone is it worrying how our government and um yeah like mostly the government do you think it's worrying yeah. how they approach conservation one and second is uh do you have the do you have a problem with the word with the word save like saving a particular species yeah. or saving something or saving the forest or the planet okay is i'll start that... with question one right. which is that uh the current state of environmental governance in india is abysmal it is honestly i mean there no there's no shortage of adjectives i have for it um it is terrifying because uh it's what my mentor and my boss bitu calls intergenerational colonization when you are ripping the forest from the land and you're turning rivers to a uh, sludge and you are evicting uh humans from the lands that have sustained them all towards an idea of development that is just completely incongruous to the actuality of the ground uh it's very big and i think anyone just needs to open up the environmental section of any uh newspaper or web portal to understand the kind of scale at which this destruction is ongoing um so yeah we we have we have a big environmental governance problem and it's not going to get better unless uh, we as a people begin to acknowledge it and demand better and that is happening i have to say the pandemic year was uh for all its uh, kind of cons the pro was that we suddenly saw this youth environmental awakening uh which is the first i've seen of it and i've you know been obsessed with this field since i was like 12 years old so yes environmental governance glad you asked that question there's so much to be done india has some of the best scientists and researchers in the world and yet their ideas and their innovations and their policies are never given pride of place we have the most incredible communities in the world who have lived in uh, and managed uh, landscapes and habitats without uh, outside intervention we have some very progressive laws some not so much so we have all the ingredients what we don't have is good leadership and i think that's uh that's 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 the one we're contending with there there are a lot of such terms and a lot of such words that if you get into it sure you can uh kind of pick at and find issues with uh i'm just i don't i don't particularly love the word save but it works it's easy to communicate part of conservation's problem is that uh it has been top down and seen as too scientific and elite and has not been uh, communicated correctly to the public so i don't 
so it's not something that I would like break my head over. That's not my big problem, you know. Uh, to which word or which term I'm using, as long as you're getting my point. Makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, during the pandemic, I think in the beginning, at least, everyone was wearing a mask and everyone was um, sort of like, you know, afraid and they wanted to be indoors or at least yeah. in the beginning it was such, but I guess now things have eased out a little bit um but I was just you know noticing that this is probably the warmest late February and early Mm -hmm. March I've experienced in Delhi and um like it's it's just something that's so worrying but but what is it that is wrong with the PR strategy for the climate crisis like what is it that isn't still like worrying people (laughs) enough you know like the way the way that COVID did or like um, yeah the way that this pandemic did that it just reached everyone right from somebody who's selling food to somebody who's running country you know Um, yeah it doesn't get clearer than this exactly so how is it that there's something wrong with the way that maybe they're just well you know I don't know man I like I can't answer that uh in a objective way I can answer it subjectively and tell you what I think and what I feel and I guess that is well number one that when the once the problem is so immense uh, our minds can't grapple with the severity of it number two especially in a country like India the disparity between the rich and the poor is criminal uh, it's it's just so much and unfortunately there's so much ecological ignorance uh, amongst the rich and on, and these are the people with the highest car, like carbon footprints, the biggest impact on the planet, the ones who are like, you know, uh, the ones who benefit from uh, from the systems that exist. Uh, and they're the ones, and we, I shouldn't say they, I'm included in this, we're the ones who need to be making a change um, and need to be pushing for not just better governance and better policy, but also uh, social justice and ecological justice and finding the intersections between all of these, I, 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 I don't know. It's, you know, when you get to that scale and you start thinking about it globally or even nationally, it can be overwhelming um, just because of the sheer numbers and the sheer kind of uh, neglect, ignorance and current state of affairs. So, yeah, I think, I think the idea is to look for collaborations, to keep your head down, to work hard, to stand up and speak the truth when you know it all those things all those really basic things that kids learn in school and are <laughs> and are told to forget by the time they're entering uh, their careers um kara do you think part of respecting um nature and the wild and um, our forests is letting them be and not interfering as much oh, 100% um, so so what is your take on wildlife tourism mm. So again, it's a tricky question. Yes, it can have many benefits, and yes, it can it can be done in a in a in a way that is beneficial to the environment and to the local community and to the tourists who's visiting. Uh, we don't have a huge many examples of those, but we do have some, and I think I'll take my cue from those. And and I do it also selfishly because I personally love to travel and I want to experience new landscapes and new cultures and see see wildlife. Um, and and I think that is a very human kind of uh, 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 what's it called? I guess. Yeah, a human tendency exploration, right? It's how it's how the world was 
came to be as it is today. We want to explore, we want to see, we, we have curiosity. We are part of nature, we're not separate from it. Of course, then you get to the matter of how it should be done and that's where uh, it gets gnarly. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of conversations to have about wildlife tourism and the things that come with it, such as wildlife photography. I love wildlife photographs, but currently I have a lot of bones to pick with India's wildlife photography community, uh, which I feel has become very exploitative of, of our natural resources while positioning themselves as great champions of the wild. Mm, not, not too on board with that. Is there, is there a um, grassroots campaign that you would want to highlight that you sort of saw through like from the beginning to maybe maybe reaching a sort of successful um, end or such that you think is inspiring for people to like maybe read about? You know, or... I'm so glad you asked me this question because I'll tell you what, I don't think I have had one fully successful <laughs> campaign under my belt or even been a part of or like collaborated with. And that's the truth. You do like campaigns every year there's always like you know a thousand burning causes that need your attention and people who want support um and you do your best by them but actually getting victories those are few and far apart so everyone needs to be rejoiced and like you know celebrated um and I think for me the big like the first few times I led a campaign or was involved in a campaign that wasn't you know so to say successful or wasn't didn't achieve something I was devastated uh, I just couldn't believe that all that work and all that emotion and passion had come to nothing. And now, so many years into it, I realized that it doesn't matter. I just, all of us, we just have to do what we have to do regardless of the outcome. Um, so there are a lot of campaigns that one can speak about. But if, you, if you're looking for one particular like success story that's going to get everyone riled up to be like, yes, you know, that's 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 how I'm gonna do it. I don't think I don't think I have one. Okay. Fair. Um. Yeah. Also, I think conservation is just so much failure, man. You know, and and it's mostly as as like a decade ago, for me, conservation was about wild habitats and uh, you know wild species. And now I've come to realize conservation is actually about people. Nature doesn't need our help. Nature can fix herself. Absolutely. Um, and so many rewilding initiatives show us that. But it's really about people and people at every step of the way, you know. Absolutely. And I was just uh, actually discussing with a friend earlier that, um, you know, so much of our society in the way that um, we approach, let's say, um, you know, education and life mm -hmm. at work, it's so far removed from the earth, you know, like, yeah, slowly, slowly, we're like, just going in the opposite direction, like, you know, yeah. even like success, the idea of success that, okay, yeah. you earn all of this money, and like, build a <laughs> yeah. house, and like, yeah. have children, or maybe not yeah. so much, but maybe people don't want to have children, yeah. but, um, but maybe like, you know, like, you're building things, and you're like, acquiring yeah. things, and you want to possess st stuff that isn't going back to the earth ever, um, yeah. And then, like, if you just sort of zoom out of this whole scenario that we've built, yeah. ourselves, it's just yeah. so fictitious. And, like, it just feels yeah. like this whole, yeah. like, you know, myth that yeah. we built. And then that's exactly what we hold most dear. Like, we made stuff, we put it in museums, we go to these museums, pay money, and look at what we made. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, but there's so much, like, nature that is yeah. really, like, the biggest museum. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound sort of, like, poetic about this, but it's just that in our day-to-day -day lives like we just forget to sort of acknowledge the fact that like we're not larger than you know oh yeah I mean most people have this idea that it's 
humans on one side and then all the rest of the world on the other side and you know that's just how it is there's this border between us and them but that's not really true and i don't know it's it's a really tough one man like on on again on the ground and in the field i personally know so many amazing wildlife educators and nature educators who are working with urban communities with rural, rural communities with kids with adults and kind of bringing back that sense of wonder and that sense of appreciation and also reviving at the same time uh, you know uh, uh, more low impact kind of ways of living uh, but it it is it you know, it's so much about ambition and false aspiration and the idea that more 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 is going to make us happy and unfortunately that's just not true and you know the science backs it up that after a certain kind of cut off when your basics are taken care of and then you have time for indulgence and leisure the more money you make in fact the sadder you're getting or the more like uh discontent you are so 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 it's definitely something that needs to be uh, reflected upon i do think that all of us india's elite and india's wealthy are so misguided with their uh, in their ambitions and i had a really interesting conversation one year with Claude and Norma Alvarez. They they founded the Goa Foundation. Uh, they've done some incredible work in Goa. Um, they've got, got they got some really uh, standout orders passed against mining in the state, etc. And I remember Claude talking to me and telling me that you know what's the deal with with the rich? Why are their kids always told to go and become richer and make more money when you already have everything? Can't shouldn't you be working towards? societal good and community good and that makes sense any social species that you see works compromises moves towards community good and i think we can just look at elephants for that kind of inspiration um but we don't see that here you know like uh social work is a very maligned kind of uh uh field so to say uh within wealthy india it's not considered serious it's not considered lucrative it's not considered uh real and to me that's so laughable because what could be realer than using all these many many privileges that are handed to us for no you know for no reason of merit um towards a society that's better for all of us for sure i think i think like you if you tell somebody you're doing something for societal good they're like okay but like what are you actually doing yeah <laughs> what's your real job um, yeah. but uh, yeah so kara is there something that you've been watching or reading or like you know something you've heard maybe that you would recommend to people who uh, are going to listen to this yes. conversation and maybe, so, you know it makes them question mm-hmm. things or like maybe it inspires them or makes them feel a uh-huh. little better i don't know how how maybe it just so i would like to i would like to recommend a novella called the word for world is forest mm-hmm. um it's sci-fi that was written in the 70s i know that makes it sound off i would never have read it if someone had described it as that <laughs> but it's a beautiful book and it's fiction and uh and, and i think anyone who enjoys reading will find a lot in it um Then uh, on Netflix says my octopus teacher. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Oh, it's so brilliant and beautiful. Please watch it. Definitely. Um, and also the B- BBC Earth has a podcast on. It's on Spotify and I'm sure every other platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are really great to listen to. They're like short snippets, but they're um, uh, but they're just they're so fun and they're so interesting and you learn so many new things. 
I actually found a really like odd one recently. Mm-hmm. Somehow recommended like on mm-hmm. my um, feed on Spotify, mm-hmm. and it's called Birds. Okay, it's okay. Just, it's just birds, and they just talk about like obscure wow. things, like wow. Eggs one day and like just like how they make different sounds yeah. it's, and it just feels like so comforting because it doesn't have yeah. the pressure of like I don't know yeah and like other <laughs> things that we yeah. worry about in this world like yeah. it's so pure I'll know? check it out that sounds beautiful and it's really short ones like three minutes yeah. or four minutes so like it's lovely like, it's like a quick meditation almost yeah I'll recommend one more book I think mm-hmm. uh, it's called The Wild Heart of India Mm-hmm. It's by T.R. Shankar Raman. He's one of the founders of the Nature Conservation Foundation mm-hmm. India. And uh, the book is a collection of essays. Um, I would recommend to anyone with even a slight interest in the natural world to pick it up. And even if you don't read it in one sitting, to dip into it every day, read an essay or two. I think it gives a lot of perspective. Um, and it can just orient you towards the kind of uh, natural landscapes in the country and where they're at. Um, but beyond that, there's, there's just so many. There's so many cool people doing cool work. Uh, even if you're just like on Instagram, there are so many people to follow, you know, whether it's Yuvan, whose handle is a naturalist com- uh, column, or Pia Krishnan, who like documents like uh, the kind of macro flora and fauna in our backyards from, you know, bugs to uh, frogs, uh, to Pooja Gupta, who's, who does graphic design illustrations of science. So, you know, conservation science, she translates that into uh, graphic art. Um, uh, there are filmmakers like Ashika Faizi, who works up in the high Himalaya and shares footage of like brown bears and snow leopards. There are grassroots conservationists like Sunil Harsana, who's working to protect the Mangarbani forest in uh, the NCR. Uh, it's endless. And now, I mean, with the internet, none of us have an excuse for ignorance anymore on these matters. That's so true. Wow, you just gave me like a full resource. I'm so excited about this. Play and like <laughs> Many more. I will text you. These people. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Carla. And I also wanted to sort of like mention um, the photo series that you recently initiated, yes. which is um, In Our Filth. And I think it's just like such an eye opener because, I mean, every image is just like, you know, such a big reminder of the shit yeah. that we have sort of like yeah, put perfect. out there in the yeah. Morning. It's really heartbreaking. It's like such a uh, it's such a sad series, but it's also so important because so only important. in collating it can you get a sense of both the kind of biodiversity of this country. You know, whether it's like Jordan's palm civet or an Asian elephant or a tiger or a yellow wattle lapwing, mm-hmm. and then just match that with the scale of our garbage, our trash. I, you know, I call myself an irrational optimist because despite all the kind of uh, heartbreak of working in conservation, I'm, I, I feel positive most days of the week. And that positivity is just from stepping out and looking around me and seeing the kind of will to live and the will to grow and the, the intent, you know, most people I meet one-on-one do have good intent. They just don't know how to like harness it and make use of it. So the world is a beautiful place. There's so much still left to explore and cherish. Um, and all of us can play a part in doing that. For sure. And I just have like a, a silly sort of thing to add to this. But, um, uh-huh. you know, so we live in these flats where um, there is some sort of like uh, rogue people tree that just goes <laughs> out of like, you know, pipes and drinks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And everyone tries their best to sort of demolish this people tree because eventually, uh-huh. you know, affects the structure they live in. Mm-hmm. 
and we try so hard and we've been trying for decades but like it just didn't sprout out of somewhere yeah yeah so that's just so hopeful like yeah that's that's it, life man it's going life. to take over nature nature's going to take over <laughs> in respect yeah. you know yeah 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 absolutely thank you so much kalyan sanam dadi thank you